Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. How are you today? I'm doing good, Russ. Just like, uh, what was it, about four hours ago we last I was going to say, has it changed in the last four hours? I mean, I never take, and you know, I never can tell, right? You never know. <laughs> I know. My life is busy, busy, busy right now. I'm, I'm really I'm really stressed out, but you know, I'll survive somehow or another. And today we are joined by, what is it? Vegemite sandwiches. Is that it? <laughs> Turkey in the straw. Turkey in the straw by George Michelson who usually eats Vegemite sandwiches for lunch. That's what I understand. He does. But um, George is due something better than that for breakfast today. <laughs> I'm up early for a chance to talk to you guys. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, you, you, you don't eat Vegemite for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I mean, what's wrong with you? What kind of Australian are you? Yeah, well, I'm kind of learning how to be Australian. It's a long, slow challenge. I eat it as often as I can, but, you know, I'm getting there. Wow. Breakfast, lunch, and tea. <laughs> we love to eat our Vegemite for breakfast, lunch, and tea. <laughs> and today we are talking about the internet and civil society. Okay. So I have, a, I mean, I have to make the confession first that I was on the, I was on one of the various boards of the ISOC at one point. I think member advisory, I don't know, whatever it was, corporate, some, there was the, the ISOC has like three or four boards. And I was on one of those various boards at one time. And so I really do think that this is a thing that we need to think about. And I was on the IAB for a while, which is another unfortunate story. But anyway. So for me, there is this really weird thing that goes on in my head about this problem. I mean, I've got six conversations going on all the time inside, and it's generally an argument. But it kind of divides in two. There's the work me and there's the home me. And the work me, it's really easy to have a belief, a whole set of principles around the central importance of end-to-end -end encryption and the need for us to have mechanisms, high trust mechanisms, encryption frameworks that are not subject to intervention, that are not subject to random third-party search, all of these things. This is like important stuff. You can't build a network without proper cryptography. It's just a given. And then there's the other me. So that was the nine to five me. So there's the five to nine me who goes home and who has a partner and who lives in a house in a block of flats with other people. And we all really strongly freak out about some of the stuff that goes on with the kids around us on the network. There's weird stuff going on on this network and we're scared and worried about it as just ordinary Joes in the street. And so some of the things that you expect to happen from, I'm going to use this word that starts with G, the government, is that they protect us from bad things. They stop bad things from happening. They stop things that are causing us a lot of distress from happening. And then it gets really weird because the only tool in the box that the government's got is to crack open that encryption, to crack open those fundamental properties of privacy and protection and say, we're looking inside because people are getting unhappy about what's going on in the network. And then I wake up at nine o'clock next day and it's like, no, 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 don't be doing that. 
you can't be doing that. The network is not going to work if you start doing these things. And it's been like that for a surprisingly long time. Ordinary George on the streets kind of wants some things on the network to maybe dial it down a bit because they're not good for society. And work George is sitting there, arms folded, saying, the minute you start doing that, this amazing thing we've got isn't as valuable as it used to be. And I can't reconcile the two. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's actually a problem we're facing. I mean, in very practical terms, you have the problem of network observability versus having um, versus having uh, you know privacy right and I, I think yeah. about this I think about I mean this is this is even like the most basic version of it right I think about it when I think about network privacy and I've talked a lot about network privacy here and there and um, IPJ is still winning on an article for me on network privacy but I was writing for packet pushers on it so anyway and thinking about you know we collect lots of information about users. I oh, mean, yeah. we, re we really, network operators, I mean, we're not even talking like, I'm not even talking about like, okay, for data analytics, like Google or Microsoft or whoever, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Just we as network operators, we do cap packet captures. Those packet captures contain passwords. They contain social security numbers. We capture, we know where people are logged in from. Oh, yeah. All the time. We know their physical location every time they come into our network. We know when they're on the network and when they're off. So we know when they work, when they don't, or at least yeah. when they're connected to the network, when they're working. People don't always have to connect to the network to work. But, you know, we know when they're connected, when they're not, where they're connected from. So we kind of know the pattern of their life. If we were to sit down and think about it, we know when they connect from the coffee shop. We know when they connect from home. We know when they're traveling. We know all this stuff about them. Yeah. And then even worse... We get all their DNS queries. And like, if they're doing... It's personal, like we know what they're thinking. It's yes. not about, did you go there? But we know you thought about it. That's exactly right. And that's like, that's a little frightening. In reality, that network operators have access to this information. It's not being used today, really. But it's there. It's there. Somebody could, I mean, somebody could breach your, your, your network and take your data and they'd say, well, it was just my operational logs. No big deal. No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> big That's, deal. It's a big deal. And what you're saying, you know, George, is that it, this goes beyond that simple example to like, we were just talking about cars and being able to track where you drive and track everything about you and like, and, and you want all that stuff to be private, but then the network doesn't really necessarily work when it's all private. So it's kind of, it is that you want it to be private and you can drive a long way on the, I don't want nobody looking over my shoulder at this stuff. But the problem is there are degrees of engagement in society at large where people actually kind of do want oversight. I mean, oversight right? Prescribing drugs, the whole Oxycontin and opiate problem in America is centrally a problem of lack of oversight. And you want an FDA that does the right thing managing these problems. You want prescribing policies in the HMOs that manages these problems. And the thing is that on an internet, every single one of these where's the oversight question comes back to the central point. 
I can't easily tear that one thing apart for you because it's building blocks all the way down. And the stuff that protects all of those problems, it's the same glue that protects your bank. And when you log into that website, you don't want people to know you're using and protects all these other things in your life. There isn't a magic key that just lets me manage privacy and manage encryption for just prescribing. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it comes up recently because several states have passed laws here in the United States that you have to have identifiers, ident- government identification before you can go to a pornography site. And then people sue and say, no, you can't do that because that violates people's privacy because they shouldn't, you shouldn't know that they're doing that kind of thing. Well, okay, but now what do you do about the kids? Who are getting yeah. that you don't want to, right? How yeah. do you control this if you don't have that? And so where does yeah. privacy overcome this stuff? And, and I mean, I have a, cup, a couple of, uh, um, like, larger thoughts around this stuff that's more philosophical rather than networking and, and things like, we ask the question, um, how do we solve privacy? The reality is that's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, who do you want to be private from? Because you can't be private from everybody. So like, this is what I feel like. Big, big, big vendors, big cloud providers go out social media networks and say, and the, the classic example to me of this is, is, is the big social media providers. And they say, we are protecting your privacy by encrypting your data between your host, between your computer and our server. Yeah, um, but wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who's who's overse- who's overseeing you, the encryptor? Right. Who's yes. Right. Who what how are you protecting my privacy? Exactly. Who are you protecting my privacy from being invaded by? That's really the question. And and we don't think about it in those terms. We think about it in terms of I want privacy. It's an absolute thing. It is, but it's not, right? There's like, who are you protecting your privacy against? And and I, I don't know that we think about it well enough in those terms to think like, okay, I'm going to encrypt all my traffic end to end. That's great. That's awesome. But somebody on the other end can still decrypt, still unencrypt it. Somebody on the other end can still read it. Otherwise, it's useless, right? So how do you, are you sending it? So so I think social media companies actually hijack human relationships in this very specific way. They they get us to talk to people we trust and and uncover private information to those people. And they just happen to have the key. They're listening at the keyhole over all of our conversations. And so we think we're talking to our wife or our best friend or our children or whatever it is. We're actually talking to everybody. Right. We're talking to the social media company, too. And we don't think about trust in those terms. We think about trust in a different way than that. We have a very constrained view of trust. Yeah, I just tossed a lot out there on the table. And George is like, (laughs) no, I'm I'm actually I'm actually really interested by that that take, because I think the central point is a governance question and governance is not the same as government yes governance is 
is kind of, it's this weird mutuality. Who decides what are the rules? Here we have this amazing thing, and we seem to be behaving like it's a mutuality. We decide what the rules are. And my partner, Deborah, would look at me and say, we, which which we are we talking about here? Mm. And inside the tent, in the ISOC tent, in the IEDF tent, and the internet provider tent, the we is kind of the industry in this weird mutuality that takes an AT&T and takes a small mum and mum and dad ISP with 20 customers in a rural block and says, you have one vote each, except it's not even a vote. Yeah. It's you have one opinion each. And she's looking at this going, you guys are just weird. You seriously (laughs) think that the governance question is decided by you? Really? You're talking about society at large. That is not your governance question. Yeah, it's even worse than that because it's always been true in human culture that the more self-controlled people are, the less government needs to control them. Yeah. And, and, and so part of this question is not about, and this is the hard part, another hard part we don't want to talk about a lot. Part of this question is not about, okay, I'm just going to go out in the world and I'm going to tell everybody where I am 24 hours a day and I'm going to do whatever I want to do and tell people what I'm doing and what I'm buying, how much money I make, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to let everything out. But I want somebody else to protect that data so it doesn't get misused. Like, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. That doesn't work in the real world. That's not even possible to, to solve. You, you have handed, you somehow believe, have come to the belief that you can solve a, 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 a problem of oversharing information with technology. Technology can't solve that problem. It just, it just can't. It's just, just take technology off the table because technology can't solve that problem. Now you've gotten all your deep philosophical thoughts for one day, George. <laughs> I can go home now. We're done. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But don't don't you have those kinds of bifurcated conversations with people where you have oh, to yeah. pretend, pretend, stop being an industry insider and try to get inside the head of an ordinary Joe who's looking at some stuff that's going down, maybe in their family. You know, maybe a kid with body dysmorphia issues anorexia and and the their parents are saying they're flooded with all this information about how if they only eat lettuce for a month it'll cure it and you're sitting there horrified and they kind of turn to you and say but you work in the internet don't you can't you stop all this and it feels really weird to say no 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 in fact you actually don't want me to if you really think about it you right. actually don't want me to. Yeah, I, I was going to say that doesn't fear would feel weird to me at all to say no. Yes, I built this. No, I can't stop that. Um, you know, since we talked about cars, like someone can use a road to do all sorts of beneficial things for a society. They can use a road to do terrible things, and to 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 think that the civil engineer who designed the road or the construction company who built the road is responsible for how the road is used, I think is it seems a little ridiculous to me. If someone wants to put a bomb in their truck and drive it, why on earth would you expect the civil engineer to try to prevent that? Like, it doesn't seem rational to me. Right. So there are good parallels to 
real things in the real world and engineering. And I think you've gone to that quality, the parts, the substrate, the thing that is the common carrier, the utility component. It's not their obligation to protect you against misuse of the utility. But that's quite a weird abstraction to get across to people. You can mm. probably do it with almost any public utility. I mean, you know, water is a basic human right. It's in the Charter of Human Rights. It doesn't mean you can't fill a bathtub with it and drown kittens. You know, it's just the right. natural property right. of water that if you have enough of it and you put a living thing under it, it dies. So are you meant to ration water to prevent kitten drowning? Because that's kind of the vibe here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But but I come back to other qualities in this system. Let's take that road. Let's take that civil engineer. Let's take that Ford F-150, the most popular car in America. <laughs> now, now, Tom, are you allowed, allowed to drive that car without being able to prove who you are? Uh, no, I have to have a license. I have to. And it's a... And it's and not who, really proving who issued who issued that license was it your headmaster at the academy when you graduate from school <laughs> was it the shopkeeper next door who issued that license right was right. it no. the guy who sold you the car who gave you the license to use the car or was it yourself right no none of those yeah so all of these things have some degree of oversight and authority. The civil engineer has an engineering code that stipulates the behaviors, the basic behaviors of the road system. The guy who makes the tires has to meet an international standard for resilience to pressure and depth of tread. You, the driver, at all times, have to be prepared to stop being an anonymous Joe behind the wheel and become specifically Tom, who was in that car that did run into that light pole, who does now have an issue with getting it fixed, you know? And so come into the internet domain, and a lot of the questions and problems that people bring to me are essentially, why is anonymity a thing here? Why is nobody licensing you? Why is there no 18-year-old or above check that is actually defensible at real-world scale? And I start going, uh, but it's like water and the kittens. It's like, we can't do that because dot, dot, dot. And then I think, wow, what if I was wrong? What if some of these things are actually necessary and good and a part of the social fabric and the glue that keeps us sane, you know? But what if it's, <laughs> this is probably uncomfortable. What, what if it's not possible to constrain all evil in the world? What if it's not possible to prevent um, people telling uh, someone who is anorexic that lettuce will cure them? What if, what if that's not even possible? Yeah. It kind of makes people say, what if the internet isn't this amazing beneficial outcome we thought it was because it propagates lies as quickly as it propagates truth? And I kind of sit there and go, but, 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 yeah, but we lie. are net better overall. Yeah. This is, this is, this is really a human problem. That's what you're talking about, Tom. And so right. what you come down to is you have to separate between the, in, what an engineer can do. Right, an engineer can inform a politician this is the proper way to use a road. This is how the road is engineered, right? The politician mm. can say, based on that, given my ethical constraints, that one ethical constraint that I have is that I should not that I should not allow people to die, 
right? That's, you know, murder and death and I should set the speed limit to this based on what the engineer says minus some factor of safety. So, you know, this is, oh, we well, can't legislate morality. Well, actually, speed limits are legislating morality. I'm sorry. That's yeah. just the way things work. And so, you know, when you do this legislation, so then it becomes a matter of what is you, what have you, what are you as a culture willing to accept in trade-offs? Because as Thomas Sowell says, I'm sorry, there are no absolutes. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I mean, that's that's a Robert Heinlein thing. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. You can't get away from it. I mean, if you let people get in cars, people are going to die. Okay, you don't want anybody to die in a car, get rid of cars. Okay, but now people are going to die from starvation because they can't get to the grocery store. So where do you lay this out? And I think we as technologists face the end of this partially because we live in a culture now that expects engineering or engineers and scientists, so to speak, to be able to solve moral issues. Like we, we like, oh, should I do this or should I do that? Well, let me ask a scientist. Well, no, yeah. the scientist doesn't have that answer. The engineer doesn't no. have that answer. You know, you've got to have that answer. I'm sorry, but you do. That's not, that's not for me to decide, right? As an engineer. Now, as a person, see, that's part of what you're f facing right there, too, is that, right? So it's kind of it's kind of come into sharp focus recently because there's a big cultural divide even within what we like to call the Western world. So you have a strongly libertarian quality behind structural norms of rights in America because you have a written constitution that enshrines them and you have a lot of processes that respect and reflect that written constitutional basis for a right to privacy and a right to free speech. And then you come to the European arc, where you have Britain that has no written constitution, and you have Europe that has a hedge, a hodgepodge of different forms of constitutional rights and limits. And both of them, both Britain and European norms, are heading towards we want a bit more supervision. We want a bit more adults in the room. And in particular, they're heading to, we want proof of identity that's government-grade ID to show you're over 18, to be in some spaces. And we want the ability to require your network provider to unseal some of the cryptography behind your transactions. And us as the engineers, as the network standards people, as the technologists, we're saying, oh, no, 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 no. This is very bad. You guys can't do this. And the rubber actually hit the road in the UK where they have passed a bill through two chambers of government saying we're going to do these things. And then the government has had to come out on the steps at number 10 and say, well, we want the right to do these things. But because you've told us the technology doesn't exist that can do them safely, we're not going to require that anymore. And the real reason they did this is because they use WhatsApp ubiquitously inside the party structure to share private internal communications. And WhatsApp and Signal said, you pass this law, we're out of Britain, we're turning you off. We're not going to provide you with service if you put these constraints on us. And they went, oh, wait a minute, but we, we need that stuff. We need that privacy. They didn't hold back on the law because they realized that 
us, the community, wanted them to do it. They did it for selfish reasons. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah. And th and that's, yeah. And, and, you know, then you say adults in the room, and then I wonder if you're actually talking about people in government. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, but I don't know. It, it doesn't alter the fundamentals here, no, which are that the technology, to the extent it's neutral, is good and bad kind of at the same degree. It's about us as a society and how we use it. And so I couch this as a governance question, and I couch it as governance over internet, but at one remove, it's actually governance of us. It's actually about how we behave and expectations on us. Yeah, and the question, I think, is who governs us? Do we govern us individually yes. oh, yeah. or does somebody else govern us? And if somebody else governs us, then we have to do it's, it's a different set of uh, tools and constraints than if we govern ourselves. And, it's very and, different. And I think that's I mean, to me, that's a very fundamental question, because if, if someone else governs us, someone else determines where we go. And especially I'm an American, you know, Americans are, are like we are, right. We very, uh, individualistic and very self-deterministic. Um, I love that about myself and my culture. I realize not everyone else is like that, but I, you know, I, to me, it is, it is primal to be able to govern myself. And I think I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. But some people don't want to be governed. They want to be governed. They don't want to. I, I, and, and again, you know, how do you build an internet when you have those two personality types in the same chat room? So I, I, I went to a session in New Zealand a number of years ago. They have this concept in the traditional culture there called a hui, which is like a meeting space, a conversation. And it typically was used to decide governance questions. How are we going to live? How are the Highlanders and the Lowlanders going to meet in the middle and share the space? It's a basis for a conversation. And the net hui that I went to talked a lot about anonymity. And in the room that we were talking, there were people who'd been the victims of unbelievable amounts of trolling, which is principally coming from pseudonymous or anonymous individuals and people who were living radically different lifestyles to community expectations, who felt very strongly that their right to privacy went directly to their personal safety. Because if they were outed as having a different perspective on life and sex and culture, that their lives were at risk. And so there are these people who are saying fundamentally, I need to be anonymous online because otherwise I'm not safe. I'm being stalked. I have domestic violence orders against me. And you had people saying, I suffered 15 years of hell that have left me with PTSD because anonymous shills made my life hell in the same media. And they're sitting there confronting this societal tension, anonymity versus know who it is, stand behind your speech. It was incredible, really incredible, because I have no idea what the outcome is here. None. Yes, yes. And this is this is right. Yeah, this is the problem from, I, I don't know, like, how do you solve this? How do you solve this? conundrum and again it's not an engineering issue for for, for better or for worse like i i can't solve this <laughs> right. Right. And, and but i think it's but i think what's good about this is that 
if people understand the structure of the problem, maybe they can be more rational about making decisions about solutions, whatever those solutions are. Maybe they can't, but maybe they can. So, I don't know. Wow. It's a good question. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It, has, yeah. it has quite nice qualities as well about the circuit of limits around control. So in, in my house, that kind of implicit my house, my rules thing kind of feels okay. You know, you get to determine a boundary of behavior inside the four walls that define your own locus of control. You step out into the apartment complex, you have to be bound by mutuality with the people around you. Don't use the gym after 10 p.m. when you drop the weights. It keeps people awake. Don't use the pool. It's not safe after dark. No glass. You know, those rules, they're mutualities. You go to the wider horizon of my five-minute city. If you come into the shop to buy goods, you really have to be prepared to pay for them. And now you suddenly flip into this thing. Yeah, well, what is money anyway? Is money between me and you? No, no, no. Money's like six levels up the tree. And it's suddenly, <laughs> it's not local anymore. And then you think, wait a minute, the electricity I got, that 240 volts, that wasn't local either. All these implicit beliefs in boundaries in the real world, they actually don't exist. They depend on higher structural norms of regulation and governance that don't intrude because they've kind of set themselves at a natural level that just does what we want. Now, the problem is in the internet, we don't know where those natural levels are and we don't know where the boundaries on the locus of control are. We're still finding out. And people are coming to people like you and me, shaking us by the collar, saying, fix it, fix it, fix it. And you're saying, I don't know. And I'm sitting here going, geez, I don't know either. And the problem is that the only building block I've got is an IP packet and some cryptography. And you're asking me to make changes that are not up on the top of the Christmas tree, just changing one light from pink to blue, you're asking me to chop the whole tree down and start from scratch. That's yeah. pretty big. Yeah, it is. It's pretty crazy when you start thinking about it in those terms. Yeah. I, yeah and, it, I, and it would be, and it would be irresponsible to start chopping if you weren't really sure where, at what level this problem should be solved. Like it, if you didn't know, if society didn't know, and we didn't agree on, um, you know, who is, who, what is the right solution? If you just start chopping at it because somebody wants a solution, hurry quick, do something. Oh, that's um, not you good. Could, you could do some damage to everyone. Like not just, the oh, internet. you will, you will. Yeah. Yeah. But then, but then you come, come into a protocol in narrow sense, come into SMTP. You remember those heady days when you could connect to any port 25 server and you could type any mail from and any receipt yeah. to. And I used to use it to get letters from Santa Claus to my son, you know? <laughs> well, right. you can't do that anymore because SMTP says, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to have you declare associations with the at right-hand side domain because I know who they said they want to send mail for them and you're not them. And then you get this other thing, this weird thing. Okay, you succeed in sending a mail through port 25. These guys slap reputation on you. Hmm, I've never spoken to this guy before, but he says this mail is valid. And three removes away, Google goes, oh, no, I'm not accepting that. That's below my spam threshold. Mail is not 
ubiquitous anymore. But yeah. if we don't have those protections, we're drowning in spam. Well, we're drowning in spam anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. Was it right? <laughs> Did that really so, help? Well, exactly. <laughs> was it right to make SMTP more complicated? Were we right to do DKIM? Were we right to do SPF records? Maybe we weren't. Yeah, maybe maybe we should have just left it the way it was and just it's it is what it is. Deal. Build better spam yeah. filters, right? I mean, DKIM. I mean, has DKIM really helped? I don't know that. Not in the list space. Yeah, not that. I, I mean, it's hard for me to tell that DKIM is. I mean, I still have this folder called spam, right? And I still have to go yeah. to it every day and make sure it hasn't misclassified yeah. stuff. So it really isn't saving me time. And to make matters worse, if I delete the the stuff in the spam folder, it asks me for confirmation. If I delete stuff in my inbox, it doesn't. So like, <laughs> it's actually harder to delete spam than it is non-spam. Something about this just doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> so, so what my partner Deborah says to me about the spam thing is quite interesting because she actually really appreciates some of the smarts behind the Google Postini spam filter. She thinks they're doing a primo job. She does get leakage and a lot of it related to her working career as a translator, a proofreader for people with English as a second language because mm. and it's it's awful this is not good but a lot of the rules in spam are essentially culturally informed if your primary language is English material that shows yes. it's been sent from an address in Iran gets a higher score as not being good and she'd say to me the false positives actually really worry me because what it's doing is casting other nations in the bad camp that's one thing. The second thing she'd say is, look, I didn't have to look at adverts for penis extenders on day-to-day -day level. I'm really happy. But once a month, I have to go and look at wall-to-wall -wall, penis, 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 <laughs> penis, penis, penis. <laughs> and it, it actually isn't good. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost helpful, like she yeah. wants someone else to clear the spam out so that she can just avoid the whole thing. But then and you'd I'm have to pay them going, for PTSD service. I mean, I'm just saying... <laughs> Well, you, you're not wrong. Look at the people who are doing the filtering and moderation in social media. Those people yeah, have PTSD. They do. So it's, it's a nightmare. But again, it goes back to like, um, you know, if we can't control ourselves, somebody else has got to control us. If, we can't, if, if people think that you can make a million dollars by sending 10 million spams, or even ten thousand dollars, they're going to do it, and like there's no control. So why should they control themselves? So I feel, I feel like we've opened a Pandora's box, <laughs> and I feel like we have opened a Pandora's box, and there's not enough time on this episode of the Hedge or any episode of the Hedge in the future forever <laughs> to close that box back up. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But remember the story with Pandora, there was one box, there was one thing in the bottom of the box, right, Russ? You remember that? Uh, I don't remember what I was in it the was, box. Oh, the, the hope. Oh, hope yes, stayed hope. in the bottom of the box. And so you reach into the box and the hope is that we can actually surface from under this quagmire of treacle in the network and come up with some rational ideas about what to do. You've got to have hope. Yeah, 
and I wonder if, I don't know, I wonder if, <laughs> is that enough? Well, c- yeah. well cyn- uh, cynicism leads to um, governance that doesn't serve people very well. I feel like hope leads to good solutions and leads to us really achieving what we could as a society, but I don't think cynicism goes there. So no. I like the comment about hope. I, Tom, I like your idea that we need to be more obvious that the internet is substrate, it's utility function, it's the engineers who build roads, and we hold them to account for the structural behaviours as a road, but they're not responsible for the crazy drunk driver. That's a different problem. And I think that metaphor probably encapsulates how I talk in future about the privacy cryptography problem. You need these fundamentals. You need privacy mechanisms. You need privacy preserving mechanisms. You need fundamental cryptography. It doesn't deny that bad things are done using anonymous messaging and using cryptid messaging, but you need them. Yeah, right. Well, what we always used to say when I was building networks at Cisco was we always used to say, we sell rope. If you would like to build hangman's nooses, then that's what you're going to do. If you would like to build a signal tower, then that's what you're going to do. Like, there's not much I can do about what you're going to build with that rope I'm selling you. Well, as my good friend, Vladimir Ilyich Lenin said, (laughs) a capitalist capitalist is a man who will sell you the rope that you will use to hang him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things that uh, it's, it's a very difficult question. I don't know that have we even tried to come close to solving it? Have we just exposed it now? I think it's just an exposure. And I don't actually believe that in true wider governance sense, we have any privileged position in what the solution is. We have privilege of knowledge about technology and we should be obvious when we have good grounded statements why that won't work. But our role is not to say to every proposed solution that won't work. It needs to be more narrow. And the decision about how to fix this, it's probably a wider decision. It's a governance question, and it really is about a conversation about governance. But I don't think we're the ones who are going to decide. Agreed. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I do, th- I do think it's good that we expose it and, and get people thinking about it. Um, you know, and this is definitely a think piece. This is definitely a. You may agree or dis- disagree with lots of stuff that's been said here, but you know what? Think about it. Yeah, engage, you need to think about engage this Engage and think about it, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's always an interesting... Um, that's always interesting to go through and think about these issues. And, you know, George, it's really dangerous for me because, of course, my, my I'm, I'm, I have the philosophy stuff going on in the background over here. You do. <laughs> And it's why I value the conversation with you, because you bring those tools to the table. You've thought about this in a more formal, structured sense, Russ. So I'm interested what those values and those thought mechanisms and those heuristics bring to the table. Yeah. So I don't know, Tom, any other thoughts on this? No, no. I think this is a good place to put a bow on it. You do? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Should we encrypt this episode of The Hedge before we send it out? <laughs> <laughs> and then distribute the keys to everybody. Yeah, distribute the keys to everybody. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, boy. George, anything else you want to add before we no, tie a bow but, in? Um, no, I think I think this was a nice conversation. You actually relieved the burden from my heart because <laughs> I had an opportunity to say I don't have all the answers, and I kind of like that feeling. Yeah, so yeah, no, that was a good place to put it. Yeah, Thank you. Good, good. All right. Well, Tom, where can people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Tom Ammon, and that's uh, where you'll see me. And X. Yeah, I think I'm going to stop advertising a social media service that I never use or ever look at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, I was just talking to somebody earlier today who was saying, you know, they don't go on on LinkedIn any longer because it's all spam and stuff, and they only go on Facebook. And I thought, ah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just That's not where sure. old people go. <laughs> I'm not really yeah. sure about that, but okay. So <laughs> anyway... And George, where can people get in touch with you? So I actually don't put myself out there as me, but my work role is to do communications for APNIC, the RIR, and I'm active at blog.apnic.net working on that stuff. But it's in the editorial role, not the personal role. But you'll find all kinds of stuff I've worked on there. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, and I think, by the way, that's something I give advice to young people when they're coming into this field is to learn to separate your professional personality from your personal personality and have mm. two distinct, like, that professional thing is out there. That yeah. personal thing stays inside your family and your house and stuff like that. Yep. And that, yeah, that, two two personas. Yeah, right? two personas. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's very important, very Russ. Important, good point. Important thing to do. And Russ, where do people go if they want to find out things that you want to say? Nothing. <laughs> you can always find me on the hedge here at rule11.tech and on linkedin and i don't know i do log into twitter about once a week but not very often oh, i'm sorry x about once a week uh, but not very often so i don't know i'm pretty easy to find though well for all of our audience out there i hope you enjoyed this rather thoughtful and thought-provoking episode of the hedge and us being unafraid to go places where other podcasts may, may not be willing to go. <laughs> we know your time is important, and we are happy that you decided to spend some of it with us. And thanks, George, for coming on. There's always great conversations. And you know, George, you're always welcome back on. Let's let's find other topics to talk about. So um, even though, you know, just not Vegemite. Okay, let's leave the Vegemite off the... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of The Hedge, and we will catch you next time. 